This is Doug Marshall of Marshall Valicious, and you are listening to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. Everything that we do always revolves around data. Data for breweries, data to help them brew better, brew more, help them understand what's going on with their efficiencies, profit, understand what's going on, batch-to-batch comparisons. That's all tied in with data. Welcome into the Beer Money Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. Today, we are joined by a new buddy of mine. We just spent a couple days down in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, um, but his name is PK, Polkit Agrawal, and uh, he is the founder and CEO of The Fifth Ingredient in South Florida, which is a company that develops all-in-one data management systems. PK, welcome. How are you? Well, what's up, Kyle? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. Yeah, hey, thanks for uh, taking the time. Yeah, man. Um, we were supposed to uh, connect last week. What what happened? You, you had some <laughs> fires to put out early in the morning. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, things are just happening um, in the company that you're just focused on um, different meetings, different things that come up. And so I just had to reschedule Friday's meeting to today and it's super excited for it. And the only constant is change. And um, as much as you want to plan and, and fill up your calendar, uh, you got to always budget some time for, you know, when shit hits the fan. Right? Yep, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cool man well thank you so much um i enjoyed our time down with uh andrew copeland and you know we had a really good time down there and uh i guess it's it's nafik nafik is what i've kind of gathered is, is how you say it so um but you're in south florida right yep cool and um south florida you got hurricane ian coming at you but um you're, you're all right or what yeah all good on this unfortunately um it's uh actually sunny outside right now so that's pretty cool um <laughs> and so i think it's gonna hit you know, the west side of Florida a lot more. I'm on the east side near Miami, Broward area. West side is far more like Tampa area. That's probably where it's going to hit a lot more. Okay. Well, um, uh, thoughts and uh, prayers and hopefully electricity for everybody. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm very bad at like not having internet or not having uh, electricity. Like I'm not good at that. Um, again, just having that backup plan, right? You just never yep. know what's going to happen. So <clears throat> cool. Well, you've developed something. Uh, that is making it easy for businesses to kind of use their data for, for real-time process improvement. Um, you've created Beer 30 and uh, Bucha 30, which is cool. Uh, and these are software systems to transform your data into cost savings with an emphasis on quality, consistency, and efficiency. So um, you're doing big things, which is why you're on a podcast. I want to go backwards a little bit, though. So, you know, doing a little bit of research. My man, you went to Harvard yeah <laughs> that's awesome Did, where'd you grow up in florida i grew up in south florida yeah okay. so I grew up in south florida then went to harvard for undergrad and then was recruited to work at ballast plant brewing in san diego as a process engineer yeah i saw you graduated with a bachelor of science uh cum laude and um i never really knew what that meant and i guess i guess it means 3.0 or better but it means with distinction and i thought that was cool like that you know that's a nice little feather in the cap with yeah. distinction yeah awesome man uh and you were a mechanical engineer yep all right um you've been on various nonprofit boards um you worked with a you did a startup there um was it at harvard uh the harvard club of san diego or something that democracy counts no no so a couple different things there so in undergrad i did a, a startup called care boxer with a friend um yes. that was a that was a uh that was a um final project for a startup course that we were taking in our undergrad. Sweet. And so 
It was designed to basically deliver care packages to students during reading period and exam week. And so we did that for three semesters. And so that was pretty cool. Um, really helped me understand that I love the idea of entrepreneurship and building something that's your own and kind of learning to deal with logistics. We did a full, you know, ordering different items from different websites, things like that, basically build the care packages and then deliver them. And so it was pretty cool. We worked with the, uh, we got orders in from the president of Harvard, the dean of Harvard College and things like that. So it was pretty awesome to have people work with us and really be interested in what we were doing. So that was, um, I'd say overall at that point, I mean, that was a, fun project kind of thing not a full company but it was yeah. a fun project startup idea that happened that's um, funny so i i wonder if you were the inspiration of this but a couple of years ago a friend of mine from westchester university reached out and said hey i had this idea and it was basically that we're going to send uh, healthy snacks and everything that these students need during their finals weeks um, that their parents can order they can select the snacks we box it up and we ship it out. I literally have a shared folder on my Google Drive of our, you know, our plan. Um, it never kind of came to fruition. Um, just, you know, I think just time-wise, he had a baby, I had babies, and it was just like, all right, well, we like the idea. But I guess it, you may have, you know, he may have seen what you did mm, nice. and, and created that, but we literally have that, like, a shared Google folder. There um, you go. Execute on it. <laughs> talk about it. So, yeah, so what were, you know, how'd that go? It, it went well. Um, it was just a fun little project. Was there, the, you didn't want to continue that? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those that I realized it wasn't going to be a full-time thing. So after I graduated, I moved to San Diego, started working at Ballast Point and realizing that I couldn't really do logistics for college deliveries without hiring other people or things like that. So yep. we just decided after I graduated that, hey, it would be good to wrap this up. And so we did that with a partner and that was pretty cool. Now... To make that decision to wrap up, you know, an idea that you enjoy, like how is it kind of like you'll hear me talk about if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Was that kind of your thinking on that? Um, For Careboxer, yeah. I mean, it was very limited in scope. And I think realizing that in order to scale that up would take a lot more logistics and it has to be something that you're working full time at. Right. And so it's one of those that it's very different when it's a fun, cool college project that you're doing, but that right. start from a final project for a class that you're taking um, versus, you know, running the fifth ingredient, which is a very different scope and having employees, breweries, customers annually, full-time gig, you know, working 60 hours a week. Like that's, that's all very different than a school project that you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different animal. I feel like, yeah, with the school project, like our, Project's over, semester's over, we can move on and do other things. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was kind of just like, you know, I started that the spring semester of my junior year, so I had that year, and then the two semesters in senior year. So it's kind of like fun. Like, hey, we did that for the course, got an A in it, and then we're like, hey, let's do it again the following two semesters because we had a bunch of extra inventory, and I still have, even at my desk right now here, uh, Care Boxer uh, Stress Balls, which is pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Are you using them or are you not that stressed running a business? <laughs> I am definitely on some meetings just using it, you know, fiddle around. Nice, man. I have a, uh, I have a Rubik's cube that I fiddle with typically. Uh, and I figured out how to get two thirds of it. And then, you know, watching the videos, there's the third step this last third of it. I'm like, I, I, I screw it up every time. So that'll be, uh, something I'll work on, um, <laughs> when I have free time, you know? But it's cool to just kind of fiddle with. Uh, golfing. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is this year. I, I've golfed in other years, and this year 
you know, hunker down. Um, I have goals to hit and, uh, I'm, I'm there. So maybe, I, so that's why like this winter, I'm like, all right, I can go golfing. I got hey. Now it's kind of like golf outing season where it's, you know, your clients and the nonprofits you work with. A lot of those folks are like, Hey, can you golf? Hey, can you sponsor? And like, you know, so we're, we're pretty heavy into the uh, community and we love to do that stuff. So yeah, go, go look like a fool on the golf course. Um, awesome. So you ended up then at Ballast Point. How do you, how do you go from Florida to Harvard to Ballast Point? Like you, you have no problem with moving around. No, I love moving around actually. Nice. Um, so the my ex boss uh, was recruiting on campus, uh-huh. and so at that point, the president of Ballast Point was a Harvard Business School grad. Oh. Um, and so they're like, "Hey, let's recruit some engineers." And so the summer prior to graduation, I actually worked at uh, Microsoft um, as okay. an as a program manager for them, and so as a PM, and so. Um, Basically, yeah, realized when I was recruiting my senior year that I really didn't want to go into big tech at that point and figure yeah. it'd be around um, longer. And so I figured it'd be cool to try something different. And so when Bellis Point was recruiting, thought that this is an industry that I'm not too familiar with. And so just came out, uh, did some interviews with them on the phone, came on site. And for me, as a mechanical engineer, I just really like looking at packaging equipment and manufacturing mm. lines. Mm-hmm. I think it wasn't even until I got on site that I realized just how much science and engineering goes into the manufacturing of beer. Yeah. Right? Like at that point, you like as a college student, yeah, you just drink beer at different parties, things like that. But you never realize just all the checks and balances, quality control, everything that goes into it. And so when I came on site, I was just so mesmerized by a bottling line that's doing 300, 400 bottles per minute or a canning line that's doing yeah. 400, 400 cans a minute. And so that's when I was like, whoa, this is something that's very cool. And ended up interviewing, got a job offer that same day, and was like, cool, this is it. I'm I'm really excited by this and was super stoked to just yeah. check out move to San Diego and work in a new industry like this. What a great opportunity. Um scary to move across the country, but you did it and that's awesome. Um, do you feel as if you would have an affinity for beer like you have if you worked at like a smaller brewery? You know, Ballast Point probably was at that point, a pretty decent size with pretty intense equipment, um, which, you know, you like the shiny things. Those, these were cool to you. But if you were to work maybe at a smaller brewery that didn't have some of those, do you think you'd be as interested? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I think that um, for me, if I, I guess let's take a step back, right? A brewery that's hiring a process engineer to focus on packaging equipment like that was my title, right? Packaging. Like if you base it off of that, they would have to have some sort of equipment. So even if there weren't the scale of Ballast Point at, at that point, Ballast Point wrapped up around 420,000, I think, 430,000 barrels. Even if it was smaller and doing 100K, right? 80K, 100K, 150, 200. You still have to be, I think, in that ballpark to be like, great, we're going to hire somebody full-time that's focused on process improvement. So I think that as a whole it would have still resulted, whether it was ballast or something else, it would have resulted in uh, an interest into the engineering side and manufacturing side of things. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Now you helped optimize like the packaging equipment, bottling, canning, kegging, and then talk to me a little bit about how that led to like nitrogen bottling and bulk production of nitro kegs. Yeah. So this is actually a really fun, uh, fun research and development project. Um, um, when I've, Actually, when I was interviewing, one of the interview 
interviewers, um, she also went to Harvard. She mentioned to me that um, that they were interested. She mm-hmm. showed me a left hand. She was actually in Boston, and she showed me um, a left hand milk stout. Yeah. And yeah. so she was like, hey, have you ever seen this beer? And I was like, no. And she's like, they do nitro in a bottle. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so she's like, you know, at some point you may end up doing that at Ballast Point. I was like, oh, that's good to know. And so, um, you know, about a few, about a year, year and a half in, um, they were like, hey, we're going to start doing nitrogen production and we want to do nitro kegging and then eventually nitro bottling. And so that was a really cool aspect where at that point I had done enough on the bottling and kegging lines to really understand just how they work and how the systems are set up that, you know, we started off with nitro kegging, got a nitrogen machine and fuser that basically was adding in nitrogen um, during the kegging run and things like that. And then um, nitro gas, mixed gas. And then from there, I did a lot of R&D and spoke to the breweries that were doing nitro bottling or nitro canning and did some R&D on the safety of it because, you know, it's very different putting in liquid nitrogen into bottles versus cans. Right. You don't want any bottle exploding kind of thing associated yeah. with that. Nor do you want yeah. a can exploding, but one has some safeties built in with a can popping versus Absolutely. Uh, a, a bottle shattering and exploding. And so, you know, learning some R&D things associated with that. So that's really how the nitrogen program launched. And in uh, January 2017, we started um, nitro bottling uh, red velvet beer. It was a it was an imperial. I have style. that. I have the bottle in my uh, in my bar over here. Nice. Yeah, yeah. it's so, beautiful. It's a beautiful bottle. Um, mm-hmm. What a cool beer. Um, hell, like it wasn't like a cherry flavor too. It was like a, it was a stout, wasn't it? With some some berry to it. Uh, yeah. So it was a it wasn't necessarily berries. It was uh, if I remember, like a golden oatmeal stout with beets in it. And beets. okay, good, good. I actually have a uh, the poster right here. I can actually <laughs> yeah. the, the red velvet poster. Uh, they they I ended up getting a really cool um red velvet artwork piece done. Nice. About Dallas, yeah, that so. was years ago. Um, I keep bottles and cans. The kind of little bar over here, and the beers that kind of stand out or are memorable, I keep them. Um, so that's it's on display over here at uh, yeah. my bar, which is called Carl's Pub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Circling back to one of your original ones, original questions about the Harvard Club of San Diego. Yeah. So after I moved out to San Diego, figured it'd be cool to um, be part of the Harvard community, ended up joining Harvard Club of San Diego. And yeah. actually now in South Florida, I'm also part of the Harvard Club of Miami. Sweet. Uh, and then one of my uh, friends on the board there was doing Democracy Counts, which is yeah. a nonprofit that focuses in on um voter fraud voter fraud and election fraud yeah uh, integrity so, yeah yeah so I was how fitting for a bit yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah they're doing some really cool stuff for sure so if anybody's ever interested in that feel free to hit me up about that and i can connect you with dan on that as well yeah. but um it's cool yes yeah, just wanted to get involved with more of the community and dan was doing a really cool thing so that's how democracy counts kind of came into the picture there and just was helping them out a couple hours a week for a while yeah. and that was about it you're still doing that now no, I'm mean, just helping out as an advisor if you need some things, but overall, I'm not involved in the day-to-day anymore. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, well, beer has four ingredients, right? Water, malt, hops, and yeast. You have five ingredients. Uh, what is that fifth ingredient? Fifth ingredient is data. And so everything that we do always revolves around data. Data for breweries, data to help them brew better, brew more, help them understand what's going on with their efficiencies, profit, understand what's going on, batch-to-batch comparisons, that's all tied in with data. Why? Why did this come about? 
Why, when, at what point do you go, this is missing. We need to create it. Well, so the story there is um, I left Ballast Point in October 2017 because I just really wanted to focus in on traveling and in particular consulting. And so that's actually where the fifth ingredient started because I really wanted to just use my knowledge from the fifth from Ballast Point days to hit up breweries and say, hey, you know, like, can you show me what's happening with your data? Let me help you out on the packaging side. I've done this, this, this for Ballast Point. And hitting up a couple of breweries also realized that um, I would go to some breweries in San Diego and they would have something like Ecos in place or orchestrated yeah. beer. Mm-hmm. And yet we're still on paper logs, whiteboards and spreadsheets. And so that's kind of where the idea of the fifth ingredient being used for consulting where, hey, PK is going to go in and work on your data, then turn into, well, I can't really work on your data if all you do is give me a binder. And you're like, hey, here's a binder of paper logs. I'm like, I'm not parsing through this. Like, I yeah, can't yeah. help you. And so at that point, that's really where Beer 30, the idea of it started coming about and hit up a couple of breweries, uh, friends, introductions kind of thing. And, um, you know, I was in Toronto, hit up a brewery out there, showed them, hey, I'm working on this thing called Beer 30. Let me know what you think. And kind of got some feedback and started kind of working my way through even some San Diego breweries in January 2018 to have them be, you know, alpha, beta customers or just asking for help for Beer 30 things. And started working on that. And that's also how I met my co-founder, Ryan Alice, along the way as well, um, through Protector Brewery, which is San Diego's first and only organic beer company. They were actually our first client as well. Um, and so it was pretty cool. Like the idea of data just coming from the idea of consulting, which then kind of led to everything that's related to Beer 30 now. Love it. And you also have Bucha 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's obviously on the kombucha side. Do you mess around with the cider or spirits or is that different um, or is that in the works or is that so it, also going to be included in, in one of these? Yeah. In terms of uh, full blown branding, we don't have cider 30 or spirits 30 set up yet in terms of on the roadmap. But what we do have is we have breweries that are using our systems to do cider and do stuff for uh, spirits as well. Um, for example, a brewery in the filter step of beer 30 can add in customizations to make it spirits oriented and distilling oriented. And others can basically swap out grains for apples for mead, or they can, uh, sorry, apples for cider, or they can put in honey for mead. Um, mm. They can throw that in as adjuncts as well. Okay. So we have people that are doing all these different things. Some of our bigger facilities actually, uh, even in Canada and Australia, are using the system for ciders right now, um, completely fine. Okay. And they're yeah. also using it for seltzers as well. So instead of kind of branding it at Seltzer 30, we still have people using the Beer 30 platform for seltzers. So it's it's all around. It's just different. Okay. It's, you know, 90% is the same workflow. It's just tweaking things here and there. And I think kombucha was definitely the one that needed the most tweaking if I had to think about all of these. Because in kombucha, that's very different than the others, is that you have mother tanks you're constantly rebrewing into. And so because you're constantly rebrewing into that, it's very different than beer, where Usually you finish up a beer in fermentation and move that over into a different tank. Well, on the kombucha side, they're constantly rebrewing into it. And we had some people that are doing six months or a year keeping to rebrew in that same mother tank with the same SCOBY culture that's constantly adapting. So it's just that part of it was, I think, the the hardest change with Beer 30 into Kombucha 30. But otherwise, majority of the other functionality is always the same. Love it. Um, I saw some really good 
videos that you put together, you know, at your booth down at a CBP. And it was really neat to see how the software worked and you're walking through it. Um, now, obviously, don't I don't own a brewery. I don't run a brewery. So talk to us a little bit about the data that you're pooling, what you do with it, and kind of the results that that produces. Cool. So the first thing I want to point out is that Beer 30 is very modular, so people can pick and choose what they want. What that means is that you have in the entire supply chain process and workflow, you have aspects that tie in with raw materials, packaging supplies, and purchasing to the actual brewing process, such as brew, ferment, filter, bright tank, package, yeast, sensory quality, to then getting into the sales and distribution side and actually making orders in the system, to then integrating with accounting platforms such as QuickBooks Online or Zero, or then going down the path of then having that data set then feed into future demand planning and material resource planning, right? So you basically have this entire loop that's available. And the cool thing about the way the data aspect of Beer 30 is set up is we have breweries that are using just Beer 30 Labs, for example, which is that entire middle suite of the brew process, using that in conjunction with orchestrated beer, for example, or in conjunction with Myob. Um, And so it's very interesting to see that these breweries have this nice flexibility where if you're a really big size and you're already comfortable or happy with your ERP, like Pelican Brewing in Oregon, they're using orchestrated beer still and they haven't done the full switchover, but that's because they have OBR dialed in for what they need on that end for now. And then Beer 30 Labs is what they're using for the entire brewing process side. Mm. And so it's cool because you have some breweries that are full stack, fully into Beer 30. Either they're coming in from spreadsheets or they're switching over from Ecos, orchestrated beer, beer run, deer unleash, other softwares. And so it becomes a really cool way to kind of get this idea that the data that's coming through it's very much based off of whatever a brewery needs and they're not paying for things that they're never going to track at this state in their, in their business cycle. Right. And I feel like some of the software it's, it does more sometimes than what people need, you know, it's overkill overpriced or something like that. So it sounds like what you've put together is kind of like an a la carte approach in a way, whereas um, you kind of get what you need you, you pay for what you need. You, it's not as cumbersome. Um, okay. Exactly. Yep. What you mentioned, some of those integrations there. Talk to me about um, the other integrations as far as like QuickBooks and, and things like that and, and what, what else this does. Yeah. So currently for the integration side, we have from the accounting side, QuickBooks Online and Xero. Um, okay. So those have been some awesome integrations. And um, we're actually doing some really interesting revamps and really exciting revamps to both of those integrations come um, mid-October uh, from the accounting perspective. Um, we got up some really good feedback over the last few months from some accountants of right now we we have a very, there, there's a lot of ways to do syncing when it comes to data. And so we surveyed a lot of our customers at the beginning about how we want to sync, sync data into QuickBooks Online or Zero. And it was very much tied in with APAR. So accounts payable, accounts receivable, sources of truth. And then we have some other breweries that really wanted the, general ledger, journal sync, and thousands of lines of journal entries as movement of events are happening. And so we're actually working on allowing breweries to pick and choose exactly which route they want to go, which is super powerful because no other software does that. It's either one or the other. Um, And we were, for the longest time, we were the only ones that were doing just APAR. And so it's what set us apart. And so that's really cool integration and powerful stuff there. 
And then on the fermentation side, we have Precision Fermentation, which is another company that does tank monitoring with pH, uh, gravities, temperature, DOs, carbonation, things like that, which is awesome. Uh, Firmacraft, which is a company out of Australia that does um, uh, also tank monitoring on the fermentation side. We have a lab service company out of Denver called Firmly that we also have an integration with. Yep. Um, then we have a packaging downtime company out of Australia called OFS um, that does uh, packaging sensor data and getting that into Beer 30. Mm. And we have a number of others that are slated for Q4 and next year. And the most recent one that we're working with is um, an integration with a company called GP Analytics um, that actually does everything with VIP data. And so VIP is a huge distribution platform in the United States. And so that's going to be really cool because all these distributors are working with VIP. And so the integration between GP analytics and the beer 30 is phenomenal because now we're kind of bridging that other gap of the distribution side and having a portal ordering portal in beer 30 through GP analytics. Interesting. And you're writing all this code that you have a background in that, are you working with a team or um, I started so I started writing code back in you know early 2018 associated with things. Um, and I know enough coding from undergrad days to be dangerous at that point. Yeah. Um, but at, in current day, there's an engineering team. There's uh, other people that are writing code. Like I, you know, have pushed code nominally here and there, like minor yeah. fixes. But for the majority of things, I'm not in the coding world at all. And we have full time engineers that are dedicated to that. That. Actually, are super excited by this and do a far better job than I do with their background in it. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you do a good job of knowing what you're good at and what you're not, and outsourcing the rest. Um, You know, I think even just the way that you budget your time, I think I think you're really good with that. You're like, all right, we're going to do this or we're not. Um, You're you're a good decision maker, from what I gather in our you know short amount of time we know each other. Agreed, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I would say. Like all CEOs, leaders, etc., being in that decision mentality, rather than you know, even on the other end of beer thirty, when we're on the sales side and trying to get decision makers on, being in that route of talking to somebody for six months or getting into negotiation about pricing over you know over something that's a couple hundred dollars, not even like thousands of dollars, like a couple hundred dollars a month, and negotiating about pricing and thing. It's just like a an element of just do it either do it or say no, don't leave people in limbo associated with that. And, you know, kind of just figure out what works best for your business with it. Yeah. What is the most common components of your software that people purchase? I know probably like the tank management and raw material inventory, things like that. Like what is, what is the most common? Um, I really love that yeah. you can see, you know, your, your tanks um, empty, half full, you know, that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. And then we also, added a lot of cool customization with that with custom tank stages. Um, so that way people can start flagging tanks as this one's on QC hole. This one needs a filter event. This one is, you know, right. ready to filter. this one is, um, you know, needs to be crashed. This one has a uh, issue nice. happening, whatever else. So using, you know, just six Sigma mentality of red, yellow can associate with that and kind of going down that road. Um, I'm a green belt. <laughs> it was nice. a long, long, long time ago, but yeah, six Sigma is fantastic. There you go. Um, I actually did not get trained on it. it was just, right now, it's just more based on research and reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I think the modules that people end up using, if you're coming in from the, hey, we want to do everything for our business when it comes to accounting and sales orders, then I think the Beer 30 business bundle that we have set up is usually the main one that people go with. And okay. what that looks like is diving in for um, 
the actual entire brewing side, the purchasing of ingredients, the sales side of things, the material resource planning for raw materials and packaging supplies, and then the accounting integration. So those five basic modules are the ones that tie in for the Beer 30 business bundle. And that becomes a really good way to actually make that happen. And that I think is our biggest seller right now. And then you have others that just focus in on the essential side, which effectively is everything for just brewing and batch costing and cost of goods. And then you have others that do Beer 30 Pro, which is the full bells and whistles of everything associated with all our modules, including barrel aging, fermentation testing, and just others associated with that as well. Yeah. Um, is there a minimum brewery size that works best for your software? Obviously, I mean, with the way that you can kind of tweak it, there's you can kind of, I'm sure, do anything. But Yeah, I think the cool thing about that is that we have um, breweries doing as little as 70 barrels a year, all the way up 60,000 barrels a year. Um, so breweries of all sizes can work with us on it. And what I like to tell people is even if you're a brewery that's doing 100 barrels, right? Like, okay, you may think that you're very small. The interesting thing about that, though, is if you're at that size, it's probably a one or two person operation that's focusing on brewing, focusing on um, packaging, focusing on taproom side sales, etc. So at that point, you want to invest in something like Beer 30 because it's going to streamline all of your data for you. So that way, you know exactly how many items you have sitting in the cold box as you go and make a sales order, just making that on the system and having that link over directly into QuickBooks Online for payment. Like yeah. those are all options and things that are doable. And so I think that's where it becomes really critical for people to understand that you can prove an ROI on this in time savings alone. Um, and then you add on all the other benefits that you get with proactive uh, alerts when things are not de- when things are deviating from set points or getting into the the aspect of actually understanding what the forecast looks like for things, right? Like There's so many rabbit holes that you can go down to prove an ROI on this that even a small brewery, if they're really focusing on running a business and it's not just a passion project kind of thing that, oh, this is fun, you know, that we're doing. But if you really want to understand what your profitability is, you want to know that this IPA that I made is X dollars and this other batch of IPA I made is 3X that or 2X that or, you know, 10 more dollars or whatever. It really helps to know that to the penny if you're really running a business and breaking things down. What you can measure, you can manage. Exactly. It doesn't matter what size you are. Yep. And even if it is just a passion project, eventually you're like, we're doing really good. People like our beer. Maybe this is more than that. Yep. Um, that's why, you know, I track so many different coming back to the golf, right? I for a couple of years there, I tracked every um round I played, uh, my total score and how many putts I had. Then I would track I would go and do drills in the mornings and here's how many uh, wedges I hit. Here's how many putts I did, you know, and I would track all that data and you can see, well, if I do this amount, this is where my scores tend to be. If I do this amount, well, now my scores are going up. So again, I just love, I love data. Like it, the numbers don't lie. Exactly. Yeah. Numbers don't lie. And the, the biggest caveat to that, that I always have to remind breweries is it's, Data in, data out, right? Yeah. So garbage yeah. in, garbage out. If people aren't it's only as good as what you put in there. Exactly. If you, it's only as powerful as the information that you put in. So the the biggest point of failures that I see with something like Beer 30 is if there isn't full buy-in from the entire team. So, you know, it really needs to come from top down saying, hey, we're doing this and all departments need to be bought in because otherwise you're going to have 
the packaging team not emptying out tanks. Right. If they don't empty out tanks, then they're not going to be able to filter beer or they're not going to be able to brew beer, right? So even yeah. if you have the brewers that are bought in and love it, if packaging isn't emptying out the tanks, it's not going to work. And so in order to get Beer 30 working, even from like the core functionality aspect, which is our like effectively our lab side of things and the beer process side, even that core functionality, you need to have the buy-in from the brewing team, the cellaring team, the packaging team, operations team, and lab team if you're really breaking it down across departments, um, which effectively, if you're at a small brewery, it could all just be one person. Right, right. So it really depends. And do you have one person? Or do you have five key stakeholders or seven key stakeholders? And so it just changes based off of the, the, the data set that's happening with it. Is there a best practice on, all right, every month sit down for an hour and analyze what's going on? Or do you generate reports? Or is there, you know, what's the best way to kind of review the data? That's a great question. So there's a twofold. Thanks, PK. Yeah. <laughs> great question so far, Kyle. Really good. <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, there's a, there's, there's a two-part answer to that, I'd say. So one is Beer 30 is meant to be used real time. And okay. so what that means is that you can set up different tolerances where let's say that my mash pH for brewing should be at 5.0, for example. And if I set up a tolerance of plus 0.1, minus 0.2 as the green zone, then another plus 0.2 and plus 0.3 or minus 0.3 as the yellow, and then right after that, if you're brewing on brew day, beer 30 can actually send you a real-time text or email alert saying, hey, you're not in the proper threshold. Yeah. And so that becomes a really good way to the benefit of using it real time because we have these types of alerts and notifications that are set up where the goal is what can you do for proactive, predictive process improvement? And that's really the mantra. That's really like the, the view that we use with it is proactive, predictive process improvement. And so that's really what everything comes down to. And when you really start breaking down that aspect of it, it becomes an element of understanding just what's going to happen from the, the data side and it, how that all ties in together. And so that's like one aspect of like real time. And then the other aspect is, yeah, we do have reports that you can generate, look at weekly sales, weekly trending, look at monthly trending, like, you know, things like that. You can compare week over week for brew filter package. You can compare sales data, et cetera. And so, yeah, you would still keep doing that. And I would say really you should be more, uh, our successful clients usually are doing that once a week, I would say, where they're okay. literally understanding from their business what happened last week and how things are going as opposed to, waiting until the next month to make changes into it. Like you're running a business, make changes every week, every day as they come up, understand the trends and kind of see where you're heading towards and make uh, the decision that you're talking about. Perfect. All makes sense. So when we're talking about, you know, these different folks in the brewery, maybe it is one person who is using the, the information or maybe there's a ton of them. There's a big production team. So how many users uh, do we get with say beer 30 or, or Bucha 30? Unlimited users. Unlimited. Yeah. Okay. Unlimited. And is this an app too? We we can use it on your mobile? Yeah. So everything is mobile, tablet, laptop friendly. It's all web app based. So it's also cross-platform between Android and iOS and Chrome, Safari, Firefox, Edge, whatever you're using. Um, not Internet Explorer, but yes, everything else works. Yeah. Um, Internet and Explorer is kind of gone now, right? It's Edge. It, it, well, yeah, it, it's technically you can still have it on your machine, but it's gone. It's Edge pretty much. 
Yeah. Um, we actually have a really big red thing that comes up, which says, "Hey, we are not supported on Internet Explorer because it's just going to break when you start using it because uh, yep. it's not uh, it's not optimized for things." Um, yep. So yeah, the point being of that, um, it is uh, unlimited users, and our billing is actually based off of the brewery size, so how many barrels you're producing okay. and the models that you're picking. So it gives people this element of they don't need to share licenses, right? You, the last thing you want is having just one computer that has brewer logged in and you have like six brewers that are using it just because you don't want to pay for six licenses. And you're like, ah, they can all use a shift computer. It'll be fine. No, the whole point of data integrity is I know when Kyle did something, I know when Polka did something, and I just want them to have as many users with different user permissions as possible. Yeah. And, you know, when somebody accidentally deleting something and screwing it all up for everybody or whatever, you know, whatever the cause. Yeah. Okay. What about... All right, hey, we want to work with uh, the fifth ingredient. We want to get beer 30. Talk about like the onboarding and getting set up. Is that, you know, that can be a detractor for folks, right? It's always like, shit, we got to do something, right? We don't have the time to sit and do it. So talk to us about the ease of uh, the onboarding. Yeah, so one of the big things that I learned at Valus Point was the integration or implementation they did with Microsoft Dynamics. Right. And so when Ballast Point sold, they were a company that was solely on QuickBooks at that point, by the way. So um, I use that as a story when buoys are like, oh, we're too big for QuickBooks. It's like, well, Ballast Point sold at $400,000 for a billion dollars on QuickBooks. So no, you know. Um, but, but they were transitioning into Microsoft Dynamics at some point. And so that was months and months of implementation timeframe. And so looking at that, one of the big things that I wanted to do with Beer 30, I was like, this cannot take months. Like, that's not realistic. Your, your job is brewing. Your job is not focused in on um, entering in data, refactoring things, et cetera. So the, the cool thing with Beer 30 is that most breweries are up and running within a day or two associated with it. Um, really comes down to just cranking down, entering in the basic information. And the, the way we've set up onboarding, it's basically in six steps. And so you're defining in your, let's say you're like, hey, we're going to go live tomorrow. First thing we would do, not as part of the six steps, but first thing you would do is go through a 90-minute onboarding session for the brew day. And that takes you everything from the entire brew process of how do you add inventory, how do you make recipes, and then what happens, brew, ferment, filter, bright tank package. And that's all part of the first training session. People then go into the software, and this is where they're able to do their six steps, which is defining their grains, defining their hops, defining their adjuncts, defining their yeast, defining the packaging equipment and supplies supplies that are happening. So, you know, cans, bottles, labels, lids, whatever. Um, and then go through each tank and mark it as either empty or with beer. Mm. And so that's the cool thing about the onboarding is that you're not looking at, hey, let me onboard from, uh, you know, the last year's worth of data. The focus is, hey, we're starting up today on Wednesday. We're going live. Well, as of Wednesday morning, this is everything I have sitting in my tanks and this is everything I have sitting on my shelves. And that's a starting opening value in beer 30. And mm. so as people do that, that really takes care of the entire brewing process side and they're up and running the, the same day next day. We have a bunch of customer testimonials, Aether Brewing um, in Australia is one of my favorites where um, they signed up with us and within 36 hours they were brewing in beer 30. Like that's wow. how it was up and running. And so that's one of the big things we pride ourselves on for the brewing side and then once that's up and running, we usually tell people, hey, cool, time for you to go ahead and um, do your accounting integration. Let's go in and add your distribution inventory and go from there. And so that process can be anywhere from a couple of days to a week, week and a half, depending on the brewery. Um, so it's basically a two-parter when it comes to getting things set up. And 
Then from there, we use WhatsApp for customer support. And so every single one of our breweries has a WhatsApp channel with the team. So that way they can just reach out for questions, communication, things like that as well. And that, so WhatsApp um, is encrypted and can allow for like international texting. Is that kind of Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happened was we entered Australia back in early 2018. And so Australia at this point is more than 40% of our book of business. And in Australia, I think at this point, um, we're like one in eight or one in nine breweries in Australia is using beer 30. So it's That's great. Thank you. What's the Australian beer scene like? Um, I would say it's kind of that, that, place where the u.s craft beer scene was a few years ago like it's on an upcoming trend and so they're just popping up they're growing it's a very collaborative community it's been so much fun working with those individuals and so it's it's like that aspect of um you know i think where the craft beer scene was in the i don't know like 2010 time frame 2010 where it was like kind of on that up and up you have breweries now that are being acquired you have breweries now that are doing 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 barrels in the craft beer scene that are just up and coming in that aspect. And it's kind of on that that rising aspect of, hey, what are we doing to build a brewing scene out in Australia? So it's been awesome and very knowledgeable people out there as well. And so it's been cool to, to make that work as well. Australia is pretty big. Do you foresee like they're going to have thousands of breweries? Are they popping up like it used to be here? Right now, they're at about 800-ish, 700, 800 breweries, yeah. I think, okay. somewhere in the ballpark. So you yeah, think they're heading towards like the four thousand or something. I don't know. I, I know that they're increasing because we get new brewery and plannings all the time that are there that are reaching out to us for demos or things. But I don't know at what point they're going to hit those numbers or if they're going to get to those numbers. But I would say probably in the next year or so, definitely in the thousand ballpark. I would if I had to take a guess. And I guess they're are they, they're trying to pull some uh, market share from Fosters. I guess right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just the the craft beer scene there is pretty awesome for sure, and it's it's. Uh, I've noticed it's definitely you know more expensive as well from the AUD perspective when you go out to the grocery store and buy a four pack or something. You know, some of these you're paying twenty bucks, twenty five bucks, etc. for a four pack of it. Yeah. Um, I guess because of shipping materials and things like that. Well, bringing... because of that, for them, it's a lot of excise. Excise ends up being a huge cost of goods for them. Um, okay. System. So, but overall, I think the point being that. Um, yeah, WhatsApp, when we started getting into Australia, we realized that trying to email customer support was just a horrible experience. And I always hated that as well. And so it was an element of, hey, let's try WhatsApp because I was using it for personal reasons, right? With family, friends, et cetera, that are international. And I was like, hey, let's give this a go. And so we created a group for our first Australian brewery and they were messaging us on it. We're like, this is awesome. And so we started going from Slack into WhatsApp and uh, we've been on WhatsApp ever since. Nice. That's terrific. Awesome. Well, congrats. That's neat. Um, we talked a lot about the the brewery, the production, the the building itself and, and tracking all that. What about the folks who, you know, the sales team who's on the road? Is that something that is also incorporated into Beer 30? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we have a mini CRM system. I say mini because like a full-blown CRM would be like a HubSpot or Salesforce that does all of like the automation for workflows and newsletters and things like that. Ours is pretty much more of a, hey, I go to Kyle's bar. um, I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm interested in beer, write down the notes, actions, follow up, things like that. And then can make a sales order on the fly, can see your full history. And so the sales reps on their phone can actually make the entire sales order and just go from there to actually understand what's going on from a sales perspective 
um, and make these orders and, and break things down there. And even at that point, email out the order or then tie them with accounting and then have it go from the accounting side of things. Okay. Terrific. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, you guys got a really, really good um, blog page. Uh, lots of great articles. Um, you have a great FAQ spot and, um, you know, pretty much anything anybody needs is there. Um, so just very good job as, as far as like informing folks, um, they can get a free demo, right? They can request a demo and what's that, a is that a video chat, walk you through it, show you, show them what they do or. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the team members will actually get on with you, basically walk through what your needs are, show you aspects in beer 30, show you a way to calculate ROI on the software and then you're good to go on it. So um, basically walk through it. If there's, uh, you know, breweries that have multiple stakeholders, we've done multiple demos, things like that for those breweries and get, you know, multiple stages of interviews or multiple stages of demo slash interview pretty much uh, mm-hmm. with them. So that that's how that all ties in together. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the favorite places you've traveled to or some that you would love to travel to. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So no more business. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love traveling. I'm at 24 uh, countries right now and more to come soon. Um, after I graduated from undergrad, I actually backpacked through 10 different countries kind of things. Right. So that was pretty cool. Um, and it was really nice just visiting different cultures and things. So uh, top three, I would say, are uh, Japan. I lived there for two different summers in undergrad. Uh, just phenomenal of the culture out there. And I uh, was in a homestay the first year as well. So that was pretty cool uh, first cool. summer. Um, and then uh, I would say number two is probably Peru. Uh, went there with my parents uh, for New Year's 2018. And so that was pretty awesome. Just the the ruins, the the way that the Incans end up doing their work associated with that. It was just pretty awesome. And then um, going from there to probably number three is Morocco. Um, nice. So Morocco was a really fun time as well. Um, doing camel trekking in the... Sahara was a lot of fun. And so I think those would be my top three. That's terrific. All right. Japan's always been on my list, especially after reading uh shoe dog, the Nike story. Oh, nice. But yeah. That's that book is phenomenal. Um, but yeah, Mount Fuji would be something that I would like to see in person. Yeah. Um, I did the Mount Fuji climb, uh, one of the years. Uh, so that was pretty cool. That was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was one of those that you're doing it just with some friends. It's cool. But then it was also a very cloudy day up top. And so that was kind of a bummer where that was probably the hardest physical thing I've ever done, especially because of the lack of oxygen and things that happens. Sure, sure. Um, so it was just so interesting to be like, oh, well, it's a cloudy day. Well, that wasn't as picturesque as I thought it would be, but this yeah. is still cool. <laughs> That's cool. Where would you like to go next? Uh, so I actually have a lot of travels. I mean, for work stuff as well, I have a lot of travels coming up right now. So um, starting in mid-October, I'm going to Calgary for the Alberta Beer Conference. Okay. Then from there, going to Thailand for the Southeast Asia Brewing Conference. Oh, wow. Then back to Seattle for the Washington State Brewers Guild. And then doing three weeks in Australia, visiting customers and clients and things like that. And and going down that path of partners and just, uh, you know, at that point also spending some time um exploring the exploring all of australia um just because yeah that'd be a lot of fun as well so just some cool things that are set up for that as well very cool yeah um you're vegetarian i am yes how'd you end up there 
uh born that way yeah born into a family <laughs> vegetarian my whole my parents are vegetarian just family lifestyle love it cool yeah. um i'm all about the plants um i say we're probably pescatarian right we we eat uh kind of like a mediterranean diet what you know incorporate the fish really have reduced the amount of uh meat that we eat sure. so. um what are some of the you know favorite food dishes as well as some food dishes that you haven't had that you would really like to try like some of the cuisine at some of these different countries that really uh makes you excited yeah i think it's um it's actually gotten a lot better i think over the last few years of traveling as a vegetarian or yeah. vegan food options like they've started to increase quite a bit uh for sure um i think dosa's dosa are still my favorite um there is something there is south indian dish um Really awesome, really cool. My mom makes awesome dosas as well. So how do you, how do you spell it? how? What is, can you slow that down and say that again? D O S A dosa dosa. Yeah, okay. it's a lentil crepe. It's basically a lentil crepe, and so okay. lentil crepe with potatoes or pe- uh, potatoes, onions, cheese filled inside, and then um, comes with a little bit of a soup on the side. So you kind of use that to dip into it and eat it. So Dude, sign me up. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go look for that like today. Dude, yeah. A lot of South Indian restaurant places just look at Google reviews and look for the ones that have awesome reviews on it and go and try it out. Dude. All right. And is that your nationality? Yeah. I was born in India, actually. Oh, born, wow. in India, born in India and then moved to the States when I was a kid and then living in South Florida and traveling all around. And yeah, still visit India a few, you know, every few years kind of thing. See, family friends whatever but but it very cool all right about tell us something that uh we might not know about you (laughs) might not know about me okay um wow we're getting we're getting dark on this one (laughs) (laughs) Um, we don't have to know your skeletons in the closet but you know tell us something um, we we may not know about you here's a cool thing um i recently uh became scuba certified last month Uh, and so um i actually had a huge fear of water growing up um i had uh an incident when i was taking swimming lessons where they're like hey you know i was like i don't know second third grade they're like hey let's go diving off a of nine feet uh, let's go diving in a nine feet deep water in swim lessons and you know they don't teach you what happens they're just like we're just gonna go diving it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I definitely panicked there and so the lifeguard had to come save me and so since then i was always afraid of deep water and so sure. in um 28 in 2017 i was like okay well i want to get over this fear so I signed up for a triathlon. And so I was like, well, I don't know how to swim, but now I have a date that I need to learn how to swim by. And so if I don't do that, yep. I'm going to either drown or I'm going to quit the triathlon. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to quit. So it's either drown or actually do it. And then, so I learned how to swim. And so that Love was it. in early 2017. And then I did the triple crown races in San Diego, which are just three different races throughout the year. That was pretty awesome uh, nice. getting into triathlons. And then, um, I was actually visiting Hawaii um, and some breweries out there um, back in March and doing a family trip and just talking to some of the people out of Kona Brewing Hawaii, which are awesome customers, just awesome people. They're like, yeah, scuba diving, some awesome spots around here and things. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I started looking into it and then came back home and was like, all right, let's check this out. And so I signed up for scubaing and then got certified about a month ago. And so um in australia ryan who's my business partner um the two of us are actually going to go scuba diving in the great barrier reef area and so that's super excited about and that's going to be a lot of fun for sure i love it way to go those triathlons what length were they because i'm looking Uh, at 
these are Olympic like, or a sprint. Yeah, so these, well, two of them are sprints, and then one of them is the Olympic distance. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing. It's I put one on the calendar, and then we had a family thing that you know just took precedence over it. Um, that is always like that detractor. It's like I got to learn how to swim in open water that I can't see what's underneath me, and whether it's an ocean or a lake, you're like. I don't like this, you know? So I was talking, there's actually a, a triathlon, well, a, a well-decorated triathlete that lives probably about 30 minutes from me and he coaches um, triathletes. Uh, so he was saying, he's like, you know, you played football, baseball, rugby, all these sports that you get excited for, or you get amped up for. He's like, actually, when we do a triathlon, a big part of what I do is coach people how to amp down. Because if you're amped up in the water, right, you're already almost like close to panicking anyway, right? So you got to kind of learn how to breathe and relax, um, which which can be one of the, the most difficult parts of that. Yeah, when I was doing triathlon training, I got to this point where I was basically doing a mile of swimming nonstop. And this is all again, sprint triathlons are nowhere near that, right? Like it's 400 meter swim, like 400 meter swim, uh, 10 mile bike ride, and then a 5k or something, right? <laughs> it, it's reasonable distances and, and time and uh, length um but it got to a point where i was doing a mile swimming like pretty much like twice a week awesome and that was really because of just like the meditation aspect of like well i'm just gonna go in the water and had a friend uh, who taught me how to swim this is actually dan from democracy council we're talking about he taught me how to swim and so we were basically just doing laps um you know twice <laughs> a week and it was great because that was such a good form of meditation and exercise that i was like this is awesome love it well, you, uh, you know, you conquered your fear, you leaned in, you're daring mighty things, man. This is perfect. I love it. Yeah. It's right there in. you go. All right. One last question. What are you looking forward to in 2023 in life and in the craft beverage industry? Uh, so in life, I'm really looking forward to more traveling. Um, I think there's going to be some just a lot of cool conferences and just things that are going to come up in 2023 that I'm excited about. It becomes a really cool way to just um, build a business and get my passion for traveling in at the same mm-hmm. time. So that becomes pretty cool. Um, I think in the craft beverage space, I'm really excited to just see kind of what the next big trends are going to be when it comes to the, the the beverages that are happening, right? Like I personally have been a fan of the like seltzer space and getting into that. And, you know, it's been cool to just see that and excited to see kind of what happens with the new, you know, beers that are out there. But more importantly for me is it becomes a lot more fun visiting customers. And I think that's kind of what my, where my excitement really becomes. And in 2023, I'm really excited. Well, we can when you go to conferences of being able to also chip in some time to work with customers and just hang out with them and just talk to them about the system, talk to them about yeah. what they're working on. And so some of these breweries have some really cool R and D things that are coming out in 2023. That's going to be fun to really drink and, and consume. So it's going to be fun to see that play together. Love it. And that's kind of why I do this podcast, right? It's like, you know, a lot of my time, I'm either at a brewery, right? And I love meeting with my clients and that's, that gets me out of my office. Right. But also some days I have to be in my office, but doing this podcast, I get to talk with you. And now like literally you fueled the rest of my day. I'm going to have a great day. It's just good vibes, good people. And that's just, you know, that's what it's all about. That That's what makes me excited. That's awesome, man. Likewise. Yeah. Today's <laughs> going to be a great day for sure. And uh, I found a what looks to be a delicious uh, Indian restaurant about 12 minutes from my home. So there you go. Keep me posted on how that goes. That might be my lunch today. <laughs> there you go, man. All right, man. Hey, where can we find more? Where are you most active on social? Um, how do we connect with PK and Beer yeah. 30? 
So if you want to connect directly with me, LinkedIn is the best way to make that happen. Just look up Polka K Agrawal's fifth ingredient. You'll find me on LinkedIn. For everything regarding the fifth ingredient, come visit our website, uh, the fifth ingredient, T-H-E-5-T-H-ingredient.com. Um, so it becomes a really good way to check that out. You can even just Google beer 30 fifth ingredient and it will pop up. So uh, check it out. And if anybody's interested in switching over from their current software system, uh, whether you're on spreadsheets or Ecos, Obeer, Beer Run, Brew Ninja, whatever else you're on, Aliops, Grist, anything. If you're interested in learning more about Beer 30, feel free to reach out um, and we can go from there, set up a demo and see if this is a good fit for you. You're the man. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, safe travels. Enjoy your enjoy everything, man. Enjoy sure. life. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate that. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Cheers, brother. Thank Cheers. you. right that'll do it for today's episode appreciate you tuning in i hope you learned something i hope you really enjoyed it and if so tell a friend leave that five-star rating i mentioned earlier and comment on apple podcasts subscribe on any platform spread it around the world let's make it happen i appreciate y'all cheers and beer mighty things